From the ISC, I am Lara Pedley and welcome to the ISC podcast, where I speak with inspiring insurance leaders about networking, mentorship and building a successful career in insurance. This week's guest is Dawn Miller, Senior Vice President at Chubb. Dawn leads Chubb's middle market and small commercial businesses for continental Europe. She also leads distribution for Chubb Continental Europe. Like many of us, Dawn fell into insurance. After college, she had a very different plan. Actually, to be honest, when I went to university, my golden life was to be, I wanted to be the head of the UN. I wanted to be a, some sort of politician and, and make the world a better place and, um, and was active in politics. I went to university in Washington, D.C., spent a lot of my time living abroad and somehow at the same time just sort of fell into insurance. I think we all do in some way. I needed a summer job in between a year that I had spent living abroad in, in Brussels and a um, friend of a friend said, hey, there's an opportunity to work in the London market. And I was quite young and, and worked in Lloyd's and, and really enjoyed it and then just sort of carried that insurance interest with me through the rest of my um, time that I was at university. And actually my first job out of university, I worked for a government agency in Washington called the Overseas Private Investment Corporation, which provides political risk insurance for U.S. investors and companies, small companies going into emerging markets. So it started that way. (laughs) Dawn went on to work in Willis in their trade credit and political risks team in London. She spent three years there and then saw the opportunity to do something very different. Through a series of individuals in my network to to leave the insurance industry and go into um, more of the corporate finance world in, in Prague, I had the opportunity to run a small corporate advisory, uh, uh, corporate finance advisory firm that was really set up to really take advantage and, and maximize a moment in time in Eastern Europe where you saw a lot of industrial privatizations going on. So you had um, foreign companies that were trying to assess the risks of those countries, trying to find finance. And we saw an opportunity to really help North American companies navigate that space. Um, so at quite a young age, I had an opportunity to to manage that firm. And we had small offices across four different countries. And I thought then I would stay in that industrial finance world. And um, I'm a huge lover of, um, uh, I think it's fascinating, the world of industrial complexes and how to power plants run and such. And I thought I'd stay in that. And um, then as you navigate around, I we sold that company and and stayed in that world of um, sort of uh, industrial development in emerging markets. And then then life happens, right? I got married and um, was living in London at the time and then moved to San Francisco with my husband. I stayed with in that space in, um, in uh, the energy industry. And I was actually a compliance manager for a, on a power plant at a power plant that was in a national park in the United States. So that was, um, I had a whole series of challenges. But Again, while that's not exactly the path that I thought I would take, there was always an element of assessment of the, you know, the government bodies or the stakeholders around you and understanding risk, right, in some ways. So then I transitioned out of that. Unfortunately, that company I worked for was affected by the energy crisis in the U.S. in um, around 2000. And um, then I moved. I took, you know, the experience that I'd had in the field working in businesses with the insurance experience I'd had and brought them together and came back into the insurance world. As a mum, how have you managed to maintain such a successful career and cross-border career whilst uh, maintaining a family life balance? Yeah, you know, I I think early on in my career, someone said to me, and I've not demonstrated good family life balance my entire life, that's for sure. But, you know, you can have all that work-life balance. You just can't have it all in one day. 
right? And no one looks like they do in the movies with their work-life balance and every, you know, life is messy and, and being comfortable with that and realizing that you, you know, might have a day where your work is going great, but you don't look great or you're, you know, your kids are thriving at school, but something else is wrong. And, and it, it's just part of life in that respect. I think managing your own expectations, knowing that you don't have to do it all at one time. Right. And every, there is a cycle. There is a cycle. I certainly feel I observe now today. It's, um, what I get really excited about is to see the really strong maternity and paternity policies that companies have developed in particular in the financial services sector was not like that. When I had my kids, um, I took, you know, it was, you know, my maternity leave was six weeks with each of my babies. And, um, I worked every day because I thought I was gonna lose my job. So that hopefully that emotion is, is hopefully dissipating and gone. Um, because that's at the end of the day, that's time I lost and I'm the only one that lost there. And I made that choice. Um, so I think it's having the balance is being clear about what's driving the choices you're making on that day, that month for that particular period of time and understanding what's driving those choices. Um, and the, what drives your choices of how you spend your time or where you want to be successful will change mm. over time. As you say, it's the small steps, not the really big ones. Yeah. Right. Now, I've been dying to ask, how did you get involved in figure skating? And how do you still maintain to be a competitive figure skater whilst oh, being cute. a senior executive in the insurance space? Sure. And, you know, it's funny you were asking me before, Laura, before we had this interview, you know, how do people think about skating? And, you know, when you start, when people start raising their personal hobbies, I mean, the financial services industry is full of fascinating people, right? Everyone has incredible, incredible things that they do. So um, for skating for me, I skated as a child. My uh, mother was a speed skater. And so I started when I was very young. I skated competitively um, for a long time. And then maybe like around 13 or 12 or 13, I stopped and actually never really intended to get back on the ice. I started playing tennis and doing other things. And then uh, later, like when I was about 30, I, uh, was dared by a friend of mine who was like, I was dared by a woman who's like 65 or 70 at the time. And she said, what is your problem? And she is a lovely family friend had been skating, um, her whole life and, and really dedicated to it. And she's like, look, if I can do it, are you afraid? And so it was a real dare. Um, so I, uh, I was in the U S at the time and I got back and, and started skating again. So I had a variety of stops and starts. And when I had the kids, I, I went into judging instead and living in Dubai, I didn't skate very much, but yeah. And I think it's also, um, I still skate. I still compete. Do I compete as much as I used to? No. Do I feel old? Yes. You know, um, but I compete in the, you know, in the, in the competitions that matter and what I, where I want to. So I think it's, you change your expectation over time. When I first came back, I was like, step aside, I'm here. <laughs> and, um, and that's it, you know, everybody step aside. And now I'm, you know, to me, not, it's 99% of winning or being successful at skating and a competition is getting there, actually physically getting there, <laughs> right? Because work and life gets in the way. And, um, you know, the 0.5% is getting on the ice. And once you're there, you might as well skate well. You're there, something to do while you're there. <laughs> <laughs> and did skating, um, because it's a cross-border hobby, right? Did it f make that transition, mo the moving transition easier? Because it's a community, right, that you mm -hmm. belong to in a, mm -hmm. in a new place. Um, mm -hmm. You said you didn't skate much in Dubai, mm -hmm. but in the other areas that mm -hmm. you've worked and lived in, was that an easy way to find a local yeah. network? And Absolutely. It's a, that's a great question. It's I think it's a great testament to any when you've got any external hobby, right? There's always a community outside of your, your work environment that you're attached to. Absolutely. It's a great place to ring up and say, where's the closest rank? And generally, 
anybody will accept you in and, 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 and ask you to join and, and such. So it's, it's a great, and you keep up that consistent community as you, as you alluded to, as you move, move around. And, and maybe some of, you know, my friends in this community, I don't see except once a year, but when you do, because you're so tightly wound around something that's so intense, you're still quite close. Yeah. And you mentioned you were dared to go back into mm-hmm. it by someone that's worked in, well, competed for a long time. Mm-hmm. It's, did you find you found mentors throughout that community as well, sort of external mm-hmm. mentors from your career who are at different stages in their life and mm-hmm. could give a uh, different perspective on maybe problems or? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's definitely a great community because, again, it's outside of the of your daily work life, a great community to to share with and and you do have these horrible, embarrassing moments that you would never have in the office, right? I mean, right? When you are a major competition and it's all going and you, next thing you know, you're sliding across the ice on your bottom. I mean, you know, that's a, that's a neat moment to like share with someone else and have a whole therapy session on, right? Just to get it out. So, um, but also to help put it all in perspective. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And yeah. it's so important to have uh, people that you can confide in outside the office mm-hmm. because it puts problems into perspective, mm-hmm. even if they have no experience in the industry you're working in. Exactly. So you are also an IIS Young Leader of Tomorrow. In 2015, you got that. Could you tell us a bit more about what that is and and how you got it? Uh The International Insurance Society is a global uh, organization um, comprised of most of the large, you know, global insurance companies and brokers, et cetera, highly focused on where can we where can we uh, advance the industry for tomorrow, right? In particular, they've got a strong partnership with the UN around the development fund and, and really providing access to hundreds of millions of people going forward um, to insurance in some at-risk areas. So really focused on how can we make the world a better place with insurance because it has that opportunity um, and has, has, was established several decades ago as a, as a, as a forum for, for the leading um, companies around the world. And in 2015, they launched a Young Leader of Tomorrow program. So they brought a cohort of us together. It was a program where you had a mentor. You had to pick a topic about insurance tomorrow, prepare some thought leadership on that, um, and then going through a judging and jury panel. And then I ended up becoming a, a mentor in their future programs. Um, and there's one or two of us from each of the years, from 16, 17, 18, who stay in touch and continue to mentor the, the leaders that are coming up. We talk so much these days about the importance of having a mentor, a coach, a sponsor, and I'll come on to that question in a minute. But um, what has being a mentor yourself taught you? What has it shown you? I think it's really important, regardless of where you are in your career, to also become a mentor to someone, uh, someone else in your life, because I personally feel like it gives you a, it gives you a lot more. Um, it gives you a lot, a lot of value. To me, I think it's it's interesting because when you're in your own life, you are living it and, and working and having successes and failures and, and everything that comes with that. Um, but because you're living your own life, it seems like it's sort of obvious, right? I need to take this step, next step, et cetera. And what I find from mentoring, which really gives, as you say, Laura gives me energy is that it forces you to slow down for a second and take a step back. And it's not so obvious just because I battled through something, you know, maybe the next person doesn't have to battle through, but I need to take a step back and say, how do I explain that or work with them to help them unravel their thoughts, right? Um, So that either they don't make the same mistakes or take the same amount of time in a circuitous route to get something done. So I, for me, I I find it um, very rewarding from it. You just take a step back for a second and you're able to appreciate right? Moments in time or the activities that one is doing to get something done. Great. So did you 
uh, have a mentor growing up? Did you have a, a mentor, coach, or sponsor? And if so, how did you mm-hmm. seek them out? Um, I definitely had different mentors at different points in my career. Um, part of that, I I'm I like to build networks. I'm a networking person. I like to not necessarily build a network for me, but I like to build networks and then connect people within and then kind of watch that dynamic go along. I love to throw big parties and then I just kind of watch on the edge, right, sort of thing. So I like to do that professionally as well. And so for me, mentoring was really about finding the interesting, more senior individuals to me in an organization and driving value for their business and then learning from them. And then as I progressed, um, then eventually I did um, attach to an executive coach, which is very interesting, a very interesting experience. Um, And I think that is something that's been invaluable to help, you know, a coach can really help you reset yourself, decide how you want to show up, help you work on your personal brand. Because I think it's in all of us in the companies that we're in, you know, the minute you come in and you adopt the culture, you fall in love with the culture, you become a product of it. And sometimes personal brand can be lost a bit. Um, But the one thing I really comment on is sponsorship. So sponsorship, I think, is very important because it allows everyone to be in the room right? And be represented. Let's not forget about Laura because we, you know, she happens to be, you know, working in another office and we're here making decisions and I think she'd be great. Oh, everybody says, great. We hadn't thought about Laura. Great idea. Let's go with it. And I think that's an important to really represent you in the room. But I would say with all of it, but especially with sponsors, it is the responsibility of the person being sponsored, right? The sponsoree, if you will, to work that. Yeah. Because that is being being a, being a sponsor is hard work. Being a mentor is somewhat enlightening, and it's a moment of time, and it gives you lots of energy. Coaching, most of the time, it's a professional to yeah. uh, professional professional relationship. Being a sponsor, someone is putting their reputation on the line for you, and if they don't feel like you're willing to put in the time to help them uncover who you are and help you grow, then it's not really worth the effort. And so you have to be. In companies that have sponsorship programs, I would say to people, be very forthright about what kind of person you want to match with, what you would like to learn. And then when you have that sponsor, you you take seriously the time and space that they're giving you. I had an amazing sponsor at one time in my career, amazing, challenged me. We had quarterly calls because we were not located in the same place, challenging questions and push, push, push. And I really credit him with a huge part of the success of my career. But I also worked hard on those questions, and I worked hard on what he was thinking, the interim, because he was putting his reputation online for me. Exactly. Yeah. Um, one of the questions I get asked quite a lot is, if you don't have a sponsorship program internally, um, and you said you're really good with building networks, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people do find their sponsors through their networks, mm-hmm. because it's about socializing what you're doing mm-hmm. and um the progress you're making, the impact you're having. How do you sort of seek out an informal sponsor without bragging or boasting about mm-hmm. what you're doing internally? Yeah, no, it's t- I yeah, it's a tough question, a little bit of a fine line. But if you're accomplishing your role well and you're able to articulate it well, you're not bragging or boasting. You're talking about your job, right? And then how you're driving value and you're making because of your existence in that company or in that role or however you want to describe it. The company is performing, in this instance, talking about companies, the company is performing at a better pace because of you. That's not boasting. If you're walking around the room taking credit from other people, swaggering around, bragging openly about something without it being in an organized fashion, that's not appropriate. But, um, you know, people, if they believe in someone else, everyone loves to help people grow, right? Because most nine times out of 10, someone else helped us. 
right? And we all need to be paying that forward, you know, putting the ladder down, pulling it up, however you want to describe it. And, um, and, and really, but you have to be clear about the value that you're bringing and less is more in that respect, right? You know, I've done these three things. I'm doing these next four. I'd like some help in learning a little bit more. Can you help me out, get to know each other? And maybe over time that becomes a sponsor relationship. Great. Thank you. How do you think the industry, you talked, you just spoke about, uh, bringing people up. And I think this is really a theme that's developed over the last sort of 10, 15 years about, um, forming a culture in the insurance profession that everyone wants to be a part of. Mm-hmm. How do you think that the culture has changed in the insurance industry since you've been a part of it? Mm-hmm. Um, it's certainly more inclusive. Right. And I don't just mean on a gender perspective. It's certainly more inclusive on the individuals coming in, um, the uh, types of actually as the I should rephrase that as the industry is growing and you're seeing more emerging markets bring in there's more insurance is becomes a bigger part of the GDP of a particular economy. You're bringing in more diversity of thought into those communities. Right. And the more that people understand that insurance is not about the piece of paper, it's about the prevention, it's about good risk management and it's good about sustainability. Um, so the, the industry changes just as the, as the profile of the individuals comes in, right? You have some of that traditional old guard is, is now retiring on and their knowledge is being used in a great way to help us. But you've got a new generation coming in who have by default, because of the opportunities around us, had lots of diverse experiences in life. Mm-hmm. And that I think is shifting the market. It's not doing it fast enough in my mind. And I also think, believe that as an industry, we are not strong enough cohesively collectively enough as an industry at representing the value that we bring to the world around us right people cannot get past the salesman in the briefcase walking around door to door selling insurance or the one insurance company the one time that people claim an insurance company is not going to pay the claim right um you know for every negative urban myth anecdote like that there are thousands of positive stories right and without insurance around us you wouldn't have you would not have the buildings around us today. You wouldn't have economic opportunity for people. You couldn't dig down into emerging markets and provide additional insurance and opportunity for people in at-risk areas. Because I believe more so than any other industry, we can truly, truly provide greater access and opportunity for growth um, for all the communities around the world. And I just feel like we, we, that message, it's tough to get that one out. Um, but it'll come. Over time. And talking of culture change, that's one of our, our main aims here at ISC. How did you get involved in ISC? I mean, you're an ISC ambassador. You were in the US. Um, mm-hmm. You're now here based in London. How did you get involved in it? And what impact has it done for you personally? Um, it's funny. The way that I first went to an ISC event and met Barbara and many of the other leaders engaged in it was through my sponsor that I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Invited me to a dinner uh, when I was coming back from Dubai uh, this in 2014, when I was coming back from Dubai to the UK and he said, it's perfect. Today's your first day back. I need a guest for this dinner. Why don't you come with me and start meeting some people? And I met some dear friends at that dinner. So it shows that the model that you have to have the dinner and bring one or two new leaders with you is very effective. And, um, just stayed attached right. from there. And do you still keep in contact with your US uh, ISC members? I do, actually. I do. And it was really special for me to be very involved with ISC here in the UK, then take it to the US, and then come back. And now we're you know, talking about expansion in other areas, which is very special. Yeah. 
And as we said, it, it provides a community for people within their industry, but outside their organization. So our global expansion plans are, hopefully will be hugely invaluable to people that have to travel. For and that. what's so incredible is, you know, I had an experience before one of the dinners before one of the dinners we were having in New York, maybe where I was in Madrid and I was with an individual in Madrid, we were co-presenting and then, then, and I said, Hey, where are you going tomorrow? And we both were saying we were traveling to some other city. And then we both simultaneously said, yeah, but we're going to make our travel go through New York so we can go to the, you know, so we can, you know, meet up, see everybody at the ISC dinner. And it was just such a great example because we were in a, you know, two continents away and we were talking about meeting up at the same dinner in New York two days later. So I think that's a great testament to what the ISC has built. Well, it wouldn't be possible without people like you. So thank you. Uh, Lastly, I just wanted to ask your sort of top tip for a successful career insurance and the one don't. Sure. Probably from from the top tips or um, such is, is I think networking is really important, right? There's so many facets to the insurance industry. All lines of business are interesting. All the functions are interesting. So learn as much as you can. Transfer around the business businesses. Learn about what happens, right? Because the view that you have as you're sitting in underwriting of what happens in claims, when once you get into claims, it would be completely different and super dynamic. So I think it's important to familiarize yourself with all aspects, right? Because that also makes you much more interesting as you move forward and can add greater value to your clients. Um, and I think, I, I think a don't is, you know, just keep learning. So don't keep learning. Don't stop learning is probably what I should say. But I think it's just important to keep learning and keep networking. Um, and also sometimes what I found in my career is you get you get on a path and then you think, hmm, I only I only know one thing or I only know. And so don't forget about how much you're learning every day when you're interacting, right with everyone around you and paying attention to um, you know, the experiences and the challenges that the underwriters are having around you or the brokers are having or the finance people. And because again, it takes a lot of, it's a big machine. Insurance companies are big machines and you're creating short-term value with long-term assets. And, um, and there's a lot of complexity there. So there's a lot to, lot to gain, a lot to learn. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much, Dawn, for joining yeah, us. Pleasure. Um, and thank you. I look forward to seeing you soon. You got it. Thank you. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the ISC podcast. If you like what you heard, please rate, subscribe and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps. You can get more information on the ISC at theinsurancesupperclub.com. Our show is produced by Connor Sweetman of Breakthrough Media. I'm Lara Pedley. See you next time.